So, Mr. Taped Fingers himself, the man behind it all, <laughs> Sean. Well, this is it. So, where did that all come from then? Where's um, the origin of this? So, from training to photography to this kind of brand. How did that start? Um, well, there's a bigger thing behind the photography. Ooh. I'm not a photographer, and any photographer can see that. I'm, um, it's always interested me. And the two things together, I love martial arts and, uh, and I really wanted to get into photography. So I started a course, I had to pick a subject and, um, I went for combat sports, but it kind of doubled up with something else I wanted to do. So I used to work a lot with, um, like kids from shitty backgrounds and, um, like real shitty, shitty backgrounds. And the, the way I used to sort of get through to them was through, kickboxing and boxing with them and just doing other bits and pieces where they weren't listening to kind of people from authority so I thought I missed doing that that was years and years and years ago so the idea was build up a network get round to the gyms everyone always says oh why don't you charge why don't you charge two reasons one I'm not good enough to charge and second reason is um it's not about making money out of it it was more building a network so when I've got a bigger network and a lot more kind of followers um I really wanted to launch something to try and get kids off the streets into all the gyms I'm going to. So that's that's kind of where I want to go with it, but I'm a long oh, wow. way off that yet. I mean, with the whole... There's one thing I wanted to ask you about, because in the fighter bios you do, one thing is highlighted in that is about bullying and knife crime specifically. Is that something you've came across a lot doing yeah. what you're doing, working those kind of guys? Yeah. Yeah, regularly. So um, bullying was a was a big one. Uh, used to go to a lot of schools in Luton, like real shitty bits of Luton. Um, I'm from Bedford as well, and bullying is just a massive subject. You know, I used to teach kids all up and down the country. It's it's huge, and a lot of people fluff it up, and you know, and I've I've been into schools where you've got head teachers. You know, you've got um, people that are employed in these schools to help these kids, and fair play to them. You know, they do what they can do, but they just don't connect. They don't connect with the kids. A lot of them are probably never experienced. That's bullying. too far removed, really. Isn't um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they don't. They just don't get it. They don't understand. It's not just connecting with the people, the kids that are getting bullied either. It's connecting with the kids that are doing the bullying. You know, that's important. A lot of people concentrate on the kids that are getting bullied and want to build their confidence and all the rest of it. But it's not about yeah, it's that. Partly, it yeah. is about that, but. It's, you need to be. You need to have the mentor. You need to be the kind of person that can connect with a bully down with a bully. And for me, there's no better person than a fighter. You know, someone in the military, someone that's been there and done it, someone that's experienced it. You know, I've been to schools and um, connected with the kids, and I've had some I've had some amazing feedback. I've had some negative feedback as well, and I've had it mainly from um, the people really? that are employed there to do it. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't, I don't know. It's mad. But yeah, so my thing is, I want to grow a brand. I want people to see the photos and think, yeah, that's taped fingers. And then I've given myself 12 months. Obviously, this <laughs> lockdown fucked it up a bit. But I give myself 12 months. And at the end of that, I was going to start trying to kind of connect with um, anti-knife crime charities, um, people that work with bullied kids professionally and try and bridge the gap between the clubs and the 
you know, and the um, and the charity. I, mean, I think it's what's really helped. resonated with everyone, like reading these bios as well, because when it comes to different photography and stuff, normally it's just done at the sort of vein sort of pictures, and that's the end of that. Whereas that extra layer, you're sort of giving it a mm-hmm. bit more understanding, a bit more depth, a bit more behind what they're doing, what their sort of thought processes mm-hmm. are. And like you're saying with the whole bullying thing, it's like it's such a spectrum. People see it as such a face value thing. It's like picking on someone for whatever specific reason or something they're giving off. But then it's the extra layers behind that. Like what kind of bullying is it? Why are they doing that? What are they trying to fulfill from that? And I think I think what you're doing is so remarkable. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to have you on to really explain a bit more about it. And to... Oh, <laughs> great, I feel honoured. All seven of my listeners are, you know. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> it won't on now. That was like the skyrocket. Um, so the next sort of question, you still there? It seems to have frozen. It seems we've lost Sean momentarily. This connection issue. Oh, reconnection. There we are. We're good to go. You can hear yeah. me now. Nah, it's all good. We live in Villanova. It's all good. Um, so yeah. Yeah, you're gonna do well, Dan, mate. Your brand looks good as well. It's um. Oh, thank you. It's decent. You should shout out um, New York for the logo design. Um, so my next question for you is the <laughs> Tape Fingers Dojo. What is that? What is that? So my other thing was, so when I wanted to, really what I want to do, I want to go around to these clubs. And for instance, I've been to some such wicked clubs and I'm, I'm there. To be honest, Dan, half the time I forget I've got a camera in my hand. I'm like, oh, shit, shit, shit. I've missed so many good shots because I'll go to people like, you know, Gav at 10th Planet over in Banbury. I've come to BST a few times. You know, you've got Sydney that teaches the boys in Bedford. Um, just loads, loads of different guys. You know, I went and um, done it with the Kettering Strongmen. And you sit there and you get, because I love it, I'm getting gross. I'm thinking, and I'm not a photographer. So I'm looking thinking, fucking hell, man, that was sick. Oh, shit, shit, shit. I need to take pictures. So what I want to do, obviously not so much in the lockdown, but I'd love, I'm going around to these gyms. You know, I had I had about another 20 clubs booked in before the lockdown. So I'd like to go to them. These guys have got so much to offer and just say, look, do you want to throw a technique around? They could use me as the dummy, throw me around, record it, talk talk through the technique and um, just something else from the visit. If I can do a visit to a club, get, get a load of photos, get some feedback from the fighters on what they're, you know, how they'd get behind a bit of a movement I'm trying to do with bullying and knife crime. Um, at the same time, display their skills. You know, because a lot of these guys, even though if you're in the industry, you'll know who they are, but it'd be, I'm trying to bridge that gap. So you imagine one of these, in my mind, probably, you know, thinking thinking about it too much, but a lot of these kids that are, everyone says the hardest step is getting into the gym, didn't they? So a lot of these kids are looking at the photos, looking at the uh, looking at the guys, and the bios, but that could still be quite intimidating. So they're on there and they can see their personality trying to teach a, teach techniques and they can see what they're going to learn. It's just something else. You know, it's just something else from the visit. If I can go take photos, do bios. Yeah, it just um, gets that first, like, gets step stuff, out of the way, doesn't no it? Joke. And one thing I've really sort of liked from a lot of what you're doing here is different areas. So it's not just specifically jiu-jitsu, it's not just MMA, it's not just boxing, it's strongman, it's all different forms of fitness. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason why you've had that sort of variety with it? Uh, yeah, so the the thing is only the legit. So you don't have to be a hardcore MMA fighter to be legit. You know, Perfect. look at um, <laughs> look at Amelia, the the dancer I took pictures of. They're one of my favourite photos. That girl and her mum are unbelievable. She out of 
in their own ways, everyone trains as hard as they can train. But that girl is unbelievable. You know, she is truly legit and she could inspire a kid to get off, you know, get off their ass and go and do something or, you know, make a change just as much as the professional boxer, the professional MMA fighter, you know, same as the strongmen. Fighting's not for everybody, you know, but you don't have to be a fighter to be massively committed to something. I mean, no. Yeah, it's just it's Plus all it's that mindset shit. kind of thing as well. I mean, a huge thing of what you're saying about bullying and that kind of building that confidence and that image almost of that big step seems so daunting to then go from you doing whatever you're doing to then that huge stage of being professional this or high level that. And again, what you're saying, we're bridging that gap and breaking down that initial yeah. entrance can just open up so many doors for so many people. That's why it's hugely resonated with me specifically and other people as well. Talk us through your martial arts background. You imagine how many people, how many people got into martial arts for one of those reasons, or got into something. You know, how many people hit the gym because because of something. You know, it's not all oh, I need to get in shape. A lot of people have got real deep reasons they train. You know, that everyone throws that sentence around. You know, jujitsu changed my life. You got people getting it tattooed left right center, belts. but for some people, <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah, all the white belts. They put on the t-shirts. They love it. But for some people, you know, that man or that woman turning up to that gym and training, you know. Well, you hear like a lot of, um, sorry, uh, all the sort of UFC fighters and some like really high level like athletes, you hear how they get started. Most of it is, oh, their friends said, you want to come along Mm. to the gym one day. And that's the reality of it. Like, was it Nick Diaz was saying, was was it Nate Diaz was saying he only went to the gym because he didn't get fed unless he went to training and he got his blue belt by the time he realized what he was doing. and all the rest of it so tell me about your yeah, yeah. martial arts journey so what's your right, how do you get into like it um mate of mine lee lived opposite me and when i was grew up in kempston and his dad was great you know and he his dad dragged him down dragged me down as well and i think i was like six seven um when i trained at a little club in a church in on kimbolton road and uh, yeah, Lee stopped after a little while, and then I carried on. But I started doing karate, mate. Same as everyone in the eighties and nineties. That would have been a sight. So, uh, if I was uh, if I was twenty now, mate, and BST was around. So what's the transition? Christ, then? So you start with karate, I'd live and then what? What was your then next transition from there yeah. onwards? So I start. I started in karate. Um, trained until sort of early teens. Um, went to, uh, I trained with a guy called, Cl- well, I didn't train with Clayton Moraine. It was under Clayton Moraine Sports Karate. And um, I loved it, mate. I was one of those kids that used to flip around the front room to old Jackie Chan films. And then um, early teens, up until kind of mid-teens, um, was a bit of a twat. And then uh, got into some scraps. And then my dad dragged me down to a club. Um, in the Bunyan Centre, and I started, yeah, started training there. Um, with in a martial art, it was sort of came from Taekwondo, um, and then done that until I was 23, 24. So um, from your memories back then, yeah, with those like start, the starting 90. point there, 
if you take what you remember from that sort of time of training there versus mm. what you see relatively regularly at different gyms, is there anything you think is missing from sort of modern mm. martial arts? So I'll speak to Richard about this, the sort of informal side of current MMA and other yeah. martial arts versus the old formal side of, you know, bowing and sensei. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, I would never um, push my opinion on these guys that go into these MMA clubs and because they're, you know, they train like animals, like literally like animals. But if I could inject one thing into modern training, it would be master a technique. Like I see a lot of guys that are fighting at high level and they're amazing. You know, being a fighter and being good at uh, throwing a technique is two completely different things, two completely different things. Um, but if these guys adopted that mindset of you know they learn a jab with my old coach if i learned a jab i'd have to do that jab ten thousand times in thin air while he was studying me then i'd have to do it ten thousand times light on a pad then when he was happy with it i'd have to do it ten thousand times heavy then i'd have to throw it into combinations and you know and it was like that whereas now a lot of clubs you go into them and they're they're throwing all these massive combos around and all the you know and all this stuff and it's great but but master the technique, you know, like I see a lot of guys, high level fighters that, um, you see them doing their, like their roundhouse kicks and you see them doing their spinning side kicks and you see them doing side kicks and they're great, but they're clearly not, they're nowhere near the level they could be if they stayed in a gym and just, you know, I remember just doing the, just doing a side kick for three months. Every time I went in there, I, in between my training, but my main thing I concentrated on was right, go stand over there and do psychics till they're fucking perfect. But people wouldn't stick to clubs, they just wouldn't stick to training anymore. You know, I come from like the era where you do psychics, your coach would be watching you, you'd get lazy and you'd get belted around the head and and you know do it again. It's um, so I think if I could inject anything, it would be that. But these guys, God, these guys now compared to what it was. I mean, always trained hard, always, but what's on offer now? You get people that can go to one club, train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for, they can do, look at BST, man. That place is like the mecca of martial arts in the UK. I mean, that is, and it's so local, it's amazing. You can do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, jump out, jump into MMA, and if you've still got some gas in the tank, you can run over there and do some boxing. And they're all top coaches. It's incredible. It's sort of like almost the fantasy gym of what, yeah. okay, if we can get them from there and this from there and teach them this and the other. I'll tell you yeah. one thing I've really appreciated from listening to podcasts and people from sort of earlier days of MMA is how grateful we are in this day and age for the amount of accessible gyms and the amount of accessible like coaching oh, and like tuition. Like you hear like Tom Barlow talk about driving down to like <laughs> all over the place, like Birmingham, Stringer, Browley and all this kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's just not, that that's the reality. How? Well, that's what I used to have to do, mate. I was I'd train, I'd do between eight and sort of ten sessions a week. I mean, between the age of like nineteen and twenty two, twenty three, that's all I did. I was training full time. You know, I'd box in the morning, kickbox in the evening. I'd done judo twice a week. But to do that, I had to. You know, I'd go to Boreham Wood, Hemel Hempstead, Wembley. Um, I'd have to go up to Peterborough. I'd go. You know, I floated into Luton a few times. Just that's what that's what you had to do. I had to go to Hitchin. You know, I was boxed in a gym there, Wayne's gym. I'd just all these um, all these different places. Now, 
Jesus Christ, we've only got to go to one place. It's uh, it's amazing, and people can offer that now because back in the day, you'd walk in a club, throw three quid in a tin, and crack on, you know. Whereas now, they've got proper membership schemes, programs, all these other bits and pieces going on. It's a profession. You know, we're ten years behind America. This is America had that ten years ago. People were doing it. You know, you go into a martial art club, it's like walking into fitness first when we were still training in churches. So we're catching up now, and it's, it's so amazing. a few things. So you've done a variety of martial arts, like you're saying you competed in MMA a while ago as well. Like regards of rule sets, and we'll go through the usual sort of <laughs> what if, what ifs, and that and the other. So we'll go over rounds. Yeah. Say if we're gonna fight, would you prefer one continuous Ooh. round? Would you prefer staggered rounds, or how? Would... Mate, if you'd have asked me that when I was 21, or I said just throw me in for 20 minutes, no worries. Now, I think if you could break that up to 30 second slots, that'd be great. The two-hour break in between. I mean, I'd definitely gas out <laughs> or have a heart attack. Sit down meal. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'd go. No, I'd go rounds because it's nice to it's nice to come away and talk to your corner. If you're making a mistake at the beginning of a fight, you don't want to be making it right up until the point you lose. You know, if you've got a good corner, you want to be able to get out and listen no. to them. Now, adversely so, with that, say, would you then take that to jiu-jitsu? Because if you go to a competition, it's one five-minute match or one six-minute or whatever your rule set is for the specific thing. Do you think it should be, yeah. say, two rounds, like two five-minute rounds, that kind of thing? In jiu-jitsu? Well, there's loads of things coming about now, isn't they? They're doing fucking tag team jiu-jitsu. It's turning oh, well, into the WWE. Catch wrestling like that would be quite good fun, wouldn't it? Turnbuckle and all. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, but it, the thing is... Whatever rule you put onto a fight, both fighters have to stick to the same rules. So it it's always going to be level pegged, isn't it? It's how you train for that rule set. Um, personally, yeah, I quite like that split rounds in jiu-jitsu because I had a couple of jiu-jitsu competitions that got battered in absolutely smashed because I made a stupid mistake, knew exactly what I made. Um and if I'd have came out for you fucking idiot and jumped back in. With um, your competition, you know, then, how are you when it comes uh, to competing? How is, how's your mental state with it? Are you quite easy, quite chilled with it? Do you get quite keyed up? How do you deal with it? I don't, to be honest, I don't compete a lot now. Um, I don't have that, I think since I've become a dad, I energy. just don't have that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not even energy. It's not energy. It's more. When I've trained before and competed, I would train like an animal until I was throwing up in the corner, you know. Whereas now, you've got to, you've got to want it. You've got that's got to be the only thing you can think about. Um. And yeah, I just like I say, mate. You asked me that when I was twenty-one. I'd be like, give me anybody. I'm a, I'm up for it, even if I lose. Whatever, you know. I used to jump into competitions. I didn't you know. Work out as you go along. I'd let you know. I'd have to ask the ref. Or I jumped in. Uh, now, I don't know if I've got that that mad drive. It seems it. almost that you've transferred that kind of energy into your projects now with Tape Fingers and the Dojo and everything else. Like that kind of want to then mm. build, want to then explore and expand and try new things. Uh, what really important for me, especially like being a dad as well, is I want to. I want to. I like I say. I say it again. I want to bridge the gap. So these these kids in these these areas you know what i want them to to know what they can jump into there's so much potential out there um and so much stuff about to help these kids that's that's where that's where my head's at at the minute like i'm not 
I think to fight, you have to really want to win. And I'm like, uh, I've got to that point where I, I don't feel like I need to, you know, I'm not laying awake at night thinking I've got to prove myself, I've got to prove myself. If I went to a gym and got hammered, I'd be like, mate, that was fucking awesome. Like, I'd come away from that, learn something, train, 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 train and go. But I just enjoy the, I enjoy the journey of martial arts. Do you reckon that's why fighting. you resonated so much with jiu-jitsu? Like, where it's more of a, often practice that kind of change of atmosphere. Mm. I was saying, um, with jiu-jitsu, the atmosphere is a lot less, like, dick major and a lot less, like, a pissing contest. It's trying to, like, you know, yeah. we just see how it goes and, you know, have fun. Whereas MMA and, like, striking, you'll mm. find a lot of, okay, there's an unwritten, like, line almost, the elephant in the room of, okay, who's who's the alpha right now? Who's going to, you know, who's everyone scared to spar with? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, well, that is 100% why I got into jiu-jitsu. That was the main reason, because I was, um, I used to love my striking, you know, I used to love it. And when I look back now at what I used to be able to do in my body compared to what I can do now, it's heartbreaking. And I used to, I tried out a few different clubs. And when you go in, it's just like, there's no, I think because you didn't grow within that club, mm. it just felt like, Maybe I went to the wrong clubs because I know it wouldn't happen now for some of the clubs I've been in. I think I just went to the wrong clubs and it really put a um, put a damper on going to like a kickboxing club or, or anything like that. I just thought, you know, fuck this. I'm, I'm done with kickboxing. You know, I've done it from, um, you know, six, seven years old up until sort of mid-twenties and I thought, nah, fuck it. So uh, I tried to find something else. I walked into a jiu-jitsu club, you know, all cocky. And uh, thinking, yeah, I'm fit. You know, I, I just um, passed the test to get into the Marines, like the fitness test. So I was thinking, I was confident. Went in, got absolutely destroyed. Completely destroyed. I had my head hanging out the window. I was like reaching and then the coach was dragging me back in. Spar, 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 spar. I remember sitting in the car, oh. Dan. I remember sitting in the car, looking at the steering wheel, looking at the gear stick and thinking fuck <laughs> like I, I couldn't remember how to work my arm because i'd been trying to defend arm bars by bicep curling people for so not that yeah, i was yeah. defending anything, Reaction, yeah. but you know like and then i was like holding the gear stick and i had to completely move my whole body it, yeah. to like just to get it into like first second third. i was like fucking hell and uh, and i fell in love with it no, I fell but in this love is with the it weirdest thing to explain to people is the reason why jiu-jitsu appeals to people of how that being humbled and that kind of honesty is so refreshing because yeah, uh, just explain like explain what a shark tank is and why we do those kind of things i can remember my first shark tank i ever did is over in bedford or in crane and i just i crawled out from like collapsing like we wanted to be <laughs> sick and i had yeah. more to go so i turned around and went back in despite feeling like that and it was just, you kind of put yourself in these yeah. positions and afterwards you're like, okay, I've then pushed myself. That, that complete honesty, because you know if you've had like a session and you've sort of like half-assed it a bit or you've gone through the motions, you feel a bit, I don't know, unsettled, unfinished. Everyone used to hate me, mate, after training. When I was in my early 20s, like late teens, early 20s, if I had a bad session, I was in a foul mood until I got in the gym again. And it was so noticeable. Like I was genuinely like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. You know, and I got in a gym, I had a great session. I'd come out, I'd be like, yeah, fucking hour, I love you, I love you, I love you. you know? and, I, and I was like that. I was like a fucking emotional roller coaster through, you know, 
session to session. Let's start training twice a day. And in the morning, I'm a twat. In the evening, I'm the friendliest guy ever. It all depends on what this, how the session went. No one gets it. It's, um, and I think that's why I don't compete no more as well. Like, I don't have that anymore. If I have a bad session, don't get me wrong, I'm like, oh, fucking hell, that was shit. Yeah, I said, I'm not losing yeah. sleep over it. Whereas before, I've been laying there thinking, fucking twat, I messed up there. I've got to go. I've been in the garden practicing what I just messed up on for hours, you know, getting it perfect. So uh, what was a real defining sort of change the then? So that transition almost from like active martial artists competing all the time to then, you know, photography and a bit more, what's the word? Less intense kind of thing. What was the transitioning point, would you say? Yeah. Oh, mate, there was, there's loads. Like a big personal journey. Like real shit stuff. Um, got me out of like the martial arts scene. I've always trained always train myself always try to keep myself in shape i'm one of those people where all this jiu-jitsu saved my life jiu-jitsu saved my life you know if i didn't have a gym to go to to hit the bag or have a jiu-jitsu gym to turn up to and and get a load of rounds in or however you know that's i don't know what i don't know where i'd be now but i don't know it's just like loads of stuff went for a real shit period had some horrendous like stupid scraps that I'm still fucking paying the price for now and it's um and I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth for fighting in general just scared the life out of me didn't want anything to do with it didn't want no you know didn't want to compete didn't want to didn't want to go uptown for a drink just in case I kicked off didn't want to go anywhere just because you never you know I thought I've had a bad run Luckily, I got out all right, but yeah, just put a real put a real bad taste in my mouth. So I liked the fact that I could go to a jiu-jitsu club. It was real friendly, you know, train, go home, chill out. I just, I lost that eye of the tiger thing for it. I think it was, um, I got myself in a headspace where fighting in general just really, like, not put the, not scared me as in, oh, no, I'm not going to fight, you know, I'm scared. It was what more... Happened, yeah. But the repercussions. Yeah, it's more of I saw some real sh- horrible stuff from fighting, and I was like, "No, I'm not doing that anymore." So I just I didn't do it properly for a couple of years, and then found a jiu-jitsu club and just kind of stuck at that. It was chilled. It matched my new, uh, you know. Where I mean, my head this was. is a really interesting side that. to martial arts versus actual fighting and where the lines are with certain things, because this whole yeah. The, one of the biggest defining things with martial arts I find is the application. That if push comes to shove, can you use it, can you not? And when it comes to yeah. like jiu-jitsu as such, where sport jiu-jitsu versus actual Gracie like self-defense jiu-jitsu, it's where it all gets really interesting as to how many people who sit guard and do fancy leg locks, not including me in that because, you know, it's, not, it's my podcast, I make the rules. Um, can can confidently say if they got into um some sort of altercation they could defend themselves against strikes because when it comes to ground and pound versus normal jiu-jitsu change the world mma jiu-jitsu versus normal jiu-jitsu and then other sort of applications in general it's all this whole spectrum of where do you draw the line between reality versus sport and then and then what if mm. you're then say a professional fighter you're a jiu-jitsu black belt and someone starts new what's your next reaction do you then make a point for yourself do you hurt someone to prove that point 
Exactly, it's all. No, I think, well, this is my other thing with modern day, like, martial arts and fighters in general, is in the 80s and 90s, and leading up to that point before my time, your coach, I remember, Dan, I was the... I was one of the only people to fail my black belt grading. And that was because I went in and I was, what was I, 17, 18? And um, I might have been a bit older than that. And I went in and I swore. I was losing my losing my rag over some stupid thing that just happened. Um, and my coach was at the panel. And me and my coach, were like, he was like my dad. And... Uh, I remember saying, oh, fuck this or something. Can you even get out? Like, get out now. And uh, I couldn't do it for fucking months. You know, months. He wouldn't let me do it. He didn't let me come in the gym for a month or something. And didn't let me walk through the door. Like, I was like, I was devastated. You know, I felt like someone had just died. I was like, fucking hell. And um, whereas now, yeah, I remember that. I remember going to a pub. I was 18. I didn't drink. From my from my teens, um, like from my late teens to my early twenties, I didn't I didn't drink, and uh, just because I was training so much, it didn't interest me. And I remember going into a pub to get some keys off my dad, walking in, my dad's at the bar, some guys at the bar, and apparently this guy's bullying everyone all day and being a right prick anyway. And he mouthed off to me, and he got right up in my face, and I I hit him, and um, still got the fucking scars in my hand now, and I knocked all the teeth out. And one side of his face, he was like, he was a fucking prick, to be fair. But I remember going back, um, you know, I was like an eight, I was 18, I think I was. And um, I remember going back to my coach and my hands like swelled up. I remember going to the hospital and the, and I'm trying to be the big man, you know, oh, let, let the kids go in first, let the kids go in first. And my hand was right out here. And the doctor come over and he goes, if we don't sort that out now, mate, we're going to have to amputate it. I was sure. like, fuck the kids, get me in there quick. And um, I remember hiding that from my coach for, well, until it had healed and you couldn't see it no more. You know, I remember training with always having boxing gloves on, never taking them off. And so just in case he saw it, because if he saw it, he would have battered me, first of all, and he probably would have stopped me training no matter how close I was with him. It's not like that now. You know, modern martial arts, you get guys that are, I've got a real hate towards coaches that um, a coach a coach is like your parent, you know, and they're, they're raising you into this world. And I've got a real hate of coaches that produce cunts. Am I allowed to say that? Like you know, they <laughs> <laughs> that that see this person. You know, this person could come from a real shitty background, be a violent little bastard, and they're great to to go to the club, but it's the coach's job then to not only train him like physically, but sort him out mentally as well, you know, give him a safe place, but set the boundaries, give him something that he clearly hasn't had or give her something she clearly hasn't had and knock that out of him. But a lot of coaches, they're just building that and they're putting fire into it and they don't understand. It's like, it's like fucking, they're just creating a monster because they're making this guy so, this girl so amazing at martial arts, but they're not changing their personality and that, like modern day, I hate walking into gyms and you get these cocky wankers walking around, giving it the big. And I've been in clubs and they've been boasting about how they battered someone at the weekend. And I just think, do you know what? Twenty years ago, mate, you wouldn't have been. You wouldn't have lasted five minutes in a club. And people don't teach that no more. They don't teach martial arts is about respect. They don't teach. You could be the biggest animal in the world. Look at GSP. 
you know, you can see he comes from a traditional background. He is an animal, that guy. But he's respectful. You know, he's... What's that skinny young girl? Rose number eight. Yeah, she, look at her. She's an animal. Absolute animal. Unbelievably respectful. That's what it should be. You should be a fighting gentleman. You know, that's what it should be. Well, the, but I think that's it. where it's sort of lost. Yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. difference between a teacher and a coach and this kind of thing and the extra layer you give them because it's not just a fundamental face value. Okay, this is the technique. This is what you're going to do. This is how you manage this mm-hmm. emotion. This is how you manage this situation. This is how you find composure. Okay, you've lost. This is how you reassess. This is how you come back. I mean, if you take it from martial arts and just a sort of structure level, it's more... This is the problem you're solving. This is how you're dealing with your emotions. This is how you're pressing the situation. Mm-hmm. And you create these pathways. And if you haven't got a good ending with it, was where it's sort of, okay, this is your problem solved, or this is where your problem is, and you keep going, your then reaction is going to be to express it somehow. And it's how you then control that. Because if their natural reaction is, okay, I can't mm-hmm. work it out. Okay, I'm going to smack someone. What's that going to do? Versus if it's going to mm-hmm. be, okay understand that why did that happen and then analyze things and again it's just it's all interpretation and it's all individual people in their way of dealing with things but again it's that extra layer like you're saying that kind of guidance well look at yourself dan you know you go and train with um look at all the guys in bst i think when i went in there taking pictures someone told me there was something like eight champions Mm. on the mat at that time you know you're these guys are amazing you know they're incredible guys and you're training with them every day you know if you went with if you all of a sudden found yourself in a pub and you had some mouthy local giving it the bigger do you need to do anything what's it going to prove you know what it's not going to prove anything if i if you you know how many rounds does the average mma slash brazilian jiu-jitsu slash boxer whatever do in a week you know, I know on a on a good week I'll probably do fifty rounds. Mm. Do I need to have another sixty seconds in a pub with a local twat? Take sixty Absolutely seconds. Not. That's embarrassing. Yeah, it's not worth it. <laughs> It'll take you sixty seconds. Uh-huh. Why's it taking you so long? What are you doing? You having a drink first? <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was unfit. <laughs> but that, but do you know what I mean? It's just not needed. You don't need. And this this a big gripe of mine. If you get these guys that are in a club training, training. I've heard stories in the past where. You know, people all, they'll go out and they'll um, they'll start, they'll go to MMA clubs and they'll go to all these other clubs and then they'll go out and purposely start fights just to test their skills. You fucking test it. What sort of club are you going to if you've got to go into town to test your skills, you know? It's, um, so this was a conversation I had with Mickey almost, this kind of identity as a fighter. So at what point do you class someone as a fighter? Is it because you get people who go into a gym for their first or second session and then by the time they come home, they've got all their mm. social media is all plastered with I'm a fighter, MMA, UFC and this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it almost helps to validate yeah. that for themselves because if they then beat up someone weaker than them, then they've almost confirmed that kind of thing. And again, it's all reevaluating because say if I train with a lot of beginners and I start beating them all, hopefully, um, <laughs> then, then I start like saying, oh, I'm X, Y and Z, I'm you know, a fantastic fighter. It hasn't got any weight. Whereas if I go into, say, BST and I get beaten up by Jordan or Tom or whoever, I am yeah. not at a better level than I was beating those other people, but I'm then climbing, I'm then building. Then it's all how you assess that kind of situation. Yeah. It's what has real substance, a real weight to it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to being a, a proper fighter, isn't there? 
Um, everyone will have a different answer. Are you competing? Yeah, make sure a fighter. Um, what level are you training at? Make sure a fighter. It could be any a fighter. It could be anyone, couldn't it? So I think a fighter's, uh, it's all about mentality. It's all about uh, where, you, where your head's at and what you're doing. You know, it could be, for me, you could be a swimmer and still be a fighter. You know, you could have a fighting mentality no matter what you're doing. Um, if you've got a true fighting mentality, that's where I, that's why I like, you know, the real, true, legit people. Um, and real fighters in any in any combat sport will, uh, I think, every, every good fighter slash martial artist knows, you know, there's always someone better out there. There's nothing you can do about it, you know. You could be... You know, you could be 30, 35 years old like me, and you know, I, I can look sort of, you know, I can look after myself, but I've gone against 15, 16 year olds that give you a massive issue. There's always, always someone out there that's that's better, that's better than you, and I think that's important to remember from any fighter. So if you're one of these guys that goes into a gym and beats up a load of beginners, or um, and then go around bragging about it, you're not a fighter. You just that's what it was that day, you know. If you threw you into another gym, you're gonna get your you're gonna get your fucking head caved in. What are you then? If you classed yourself as a fighter because you beat a load of beginners, what are you now that you got beat by people more experienced? Whereas if you went into that beginner club and you beat them guys in there, you know, and there's a way to act if you're going against people lower than you, and then you go into a, a club where they're better than you and you train just as hard and you and you react in just the same way getting beat. And oh, that, for me, is a lot a of it is like interpretation, being open-minded with certain things. Like, if you take into account, like, say Danny, for example, Danny Burton, he is always very yeah. open and saying, this isn't the best way to do this. This is the best way I can teach. This is that kind of humility. To say someone yeah. who's been training all his life, Black Burton to Roger Gracie, former Cage Warriors champion, to then openly admit to everyone, including brand new white belts, that this is the best way I know, it's not necessarily the best way to do it. And that awareness of, yeah. okay, there might be other ways of doing it, there's always ways of developing. And that, that's just so refreshing, because you'll get a lot of people who are sort of, that know it all, and of, okay, this is how you do it, that's all I need to worry about. But that kind of outlook is just yeah. quite refreshing to sort of be around. And that's always a good insight as to where you're at, as to where you're training. If the, that sort of environment is where you're at, where people are willing to be wrong or willing to try things, willing to learn. It's definitely a healthy one to be around. Oh yeah. And I love coaches like that. You know, if you, that, that I'd say that was the benefit, that was a, uh, that's a benefit of modern martial arts. And because now there's so much, the world is so open, you know, with social media and everything else that's going on. You're, you're even your, the martial arts back in the day was quite, very culty you know it was very um like, i like the old saying an old coach said to me once like every martial arts got a back door you know if you're one of these people that's doing brazilian jiu-jitsu you know you're one of them that's rolling all around the floor and doing all this mad shit i like slagging them off purely because i can't do it myself they um one of the one of these guys but then they're slagging off a boxer or slagging off a kickboxer you know I've, I've got no i've got no real real time for them and back in the day all clubs were like that if you walked into a fucking um an old school kickboxing coach they'd be you know a lot of a lot of experience i had they'd they'd look at brazilian jiu-jitsu or or judo or anything like that and they're like, oh, i'm fucking rolling around with them i just knock them out you know i just knock them out and it's the same as 
a judo guy would say about a boxer, you know, fuck that. I just, well, if I fucking get hold of them, I do this. Whereas modern day guys, they understand that actually everything's got something to offer. And that's, I think that's probably one of the, the key good top, top points about modern martial arts. And if you get one of them coaches, like I really like coaches that, um, like my coach says it all the time and he'll, he'll say that like, I'm a black belt at this technique and I'm a black belt at that technique, but I can't do that. You know, I'm a, I'm a white belt at that technique. Like, so I'm learning that just as much as you are, but I can show you what I'm good at. And, um, and I like that. And if he goes away to a training thing or he, you know, he trains with someone like Nick Brooks or other people and he comes away with something new, it's nice that they're in such a nice environment that they can tell their students, actually, this is a new technique and we're going to learn it together. It's not like that cult thing. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like muck dojo shit <laughs> muck where dojo. they pretend they're, they're the absolute master of it. So, and yeah, if that Danny, I really like Danny. I think he's amazing. I, if I lived um, just that bit closer to BST, I think that'd be my full-time home. So, a couple of hypotheticals for you. So, give yourself... Um some situations where you give yourself advice. So say before you started martial arts, what would you say to yourself as like a precursor to that before starting karate, before all of that? What, what? Advice to yourself. What, what, what advice would you Before start getting into it, like a sort of be prepared for or don't take this too personally or that kind of thing, like a preemptive thing. Um, I would have... If I'd have been my age now and I'd have seen little seven-year-old me walking into a karate club, I'd have turned me round, walked me down the street to a Muay Thai club all day long. I wish I'd have started Muay Thai. Um, an advice I'd have given myself was... It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to give... The frame of mind I'm in now, I understand that there's always someone better, but I remember when I was coming up, like training if i walked into a club and i was quite known for this if i walked into a new club or i was training some few different places i'd always look at who was the best be like, he's the best i'm gonna be that fucking good i'm gonna be as good as him um but i'd really beat myself up until i was better than that person you know until i was better than that person so i'd probably actually no i wouldn't advise myself against that i quite liked that well this is the I'd whole thing the idea behind this question is more so how would you like say a hard pill to swallow something you couldn't quite process something you were just a bit like trying to pull the push door almost of something like oh you're never going to be that guy you're going to beat yourself up over that whereas you could tell yourself oh that attitude is what's going to drive you but don't let it control you that kind of concept you see what i mean yeah um i probably make myself comfortable with like the size i was when i was fighting uh, or when I when I was training, um, so I was like 59 kg um, when I was younger, and I always had that like chip on my shoulder. And I fucking hell, I was always this skinny little rat. But actually, now looking back at 90 kg, I think fucking hell, man, I was amazing when I was 59, 60 kg. Um, so I'd probably the advice I'd give myself is be comfortable at your weight, learn to be an absolute master at your weight i used to have a real chip on my shoulder and always want to fight the guy that was 100 kg so i never really found my feet um at my own weight in training or or anything because i was always at that kind of small man syndrome do you reckon that kind of mindset is what got you into martial arts in the first place that inspired Um, you nothing else 
Yeah, I'd say, yeah, yeah. I was always, I was always, like, I never kind of walk away from anything when I was younger. I was always, like, my eyes were bigger than my belly. I think uh, that, um, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to to learn to throw throw yourself around a bit. It was. Um, I think when I was younger, I didn't really have a choice because I just kind of got dragged down. But when I sort of came into my teens, that's when I had more of a choice of where I wanted to go and what I wanted, where I wanted to train. I still kind of got dragged down, but um, I remember getting fucking punched from nowhere. To, oh, I don't know how big these guys' hands were, but they were massive. And this was so much bigger than me, this bloke as well. I was like, fucking hell. And I just, I just like grabbed me and I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't know what I'm fucking doing here. And I'd done... Like, that was a massive reality check, you know, from seven up until, must have been about 14 or 15 at the time, thinking, well, that was a fucking waste of time, all of that stuff, wasn't it? So that's when I kind of went and got into something a bit more full on. But, um, yeah. It's certainly something that's lost in, like, martial arts at kids and stuff. It's always different with different age groups of people, but that sort of false security of, oh, they're doing martial arts, so they're going to be able to protect themselves. When realistically, if they're not doing any sort of mm-hmm. contact and dealing with sparring, then the application is then lost a little bit further. That doing the katas are all well and good, but until, yeah. you know, you can do it under pressure and under a bit of, you know, then how are you going to apply mm. it? On the um, sort of follow-up yeah. subject from there then, so what advice would you give yourself, as you know now, so far from starting taped fingers? Do you think you'd have done differently? I mean, you've been doing it which is under a year now, you were saying. So, um, what advice would I give myself about getting yeah. the taped fingers started? Uh, it was one of those things, really, where when I started, I didn't really, I knew I wanted to do it. It's not like I sat there and really planned anything out. I knew I just wanted to get into these gyms and take pictures and sort of see where it went. Um, I think I'd, what I'm going to do when we get off this lockdown is i'm gonna structure my my visits to clubs a lot more rather than just floating around with a camera and getting some getting some pics like i said earlier i'm gonna i'm gonna have like a bit of a to-do list of exactly what i want to do when i want to turn up to these clubs because i you know i'm so grateful to these clubs that let me come in and like, everyone's been so massively supportive like really it's been great um but I want to go there and I really want to, I want to get pictures. I want to do proper fighter bios. Um, I want to get some wicked training vids and, you know, I really want to, I want to structure the visit and, and really make sure I get everything out of every visit. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all I, that's all I do really. I'll probably get myself a web designer as well. Cause I worked out on shit. <laughs> it's all a learning curve. I mean, you got to appreciate, I like the way your style is. Because as much as you're being like humble and modest and like putting stuff down a bit with what you were saying about your pictures and your photography, that's what really appealed to me in the first place, the sort of bold colours and that kind of design. And again, this is a big reason why I was so interested in to have you on in the first place, like your influences and that kind of thing. Like, where What spurred on the photography side of that specifically? Was it someone you saw or is it something you've done externally? Um, yeah, I feel like... I don't, photography's always interested me, but it's one of them things like I've never had a, like, I'm not an unconfident person, but you know, like you could be the most confident person in the world, but if you went to an open mic and someone said, go out there and sing a song, I'd be like, fucking hell, I'd absolutely shit myself, you know? 
Um, and that's what it was like with photography. It's like, because it's an art and people are so good at it, taking pictures and then putting them out there for, because people could have just gone, Sean, they're shit. I'd have been like, God, I'd have been at home slowly dying inside. But um, So and that's what kind of stopped me from doing it for so long. And uh, when I got married, and we were talking a lot about photographers, and a friend of mine's a really good photographer, and he'd done my wedding. I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this. I'm going to try it. And I bought myself a decent camera, and we went on a honeymoon. I thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my honeymoon as my photography bit of practice. I'm sure your wife appreciated that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all it was. I kept saying, Frankie, go stand over there so I can get a picture of so, you. Oh, thank you, Sean. I said, oh, get, get the lighting right, so make sure you're there. Get the composure, get the aperture and all this. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking smile, Jesus Christ. And that, um, now pretend I'm not here. Candid you know, ones. And, that, um, and when I sort of got used to used to the camera and that, I thought, right, I'm going to... I used my own club, took a few pics and threw them on and thought, right, I'll see what people say. Everyone's like, man, they're wicked, they're wicked. So my confidence built a bit. And then um, I think this... And then obviously Mickey was down. And Mickey's great, you know, he's really supportive of anything you try and do. And um, so he got me down to um, East Area which is a club I've known about for years anyway, because I'm from that area. And uh, and then I, I just randomly got chatting to uh, Gav from um, 10th Planet in Banbury and went down there. And all of a sudden, I had a bit of a portfolio. I thought, mate, this is wicked. And then the ball really started rolling. Um, but, yeah, I'm, as, as for a photographer, I mean, I'm learning. I'm literally right at the beginning. I've got a certain style that I really like, and I think I'm good at capturing um a certain moment you know and uh, i think the 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 thing of the thing i've got as well which probably I suppose most fight photographers have got is because i understand the boxing or the kickboxing or the jiu-jitsu or the judo you've got context yeah i know kind of where to be um as long as i'm not getting sidetracked thinking fucking that was a sick technique and not forgetting i've got a camera well, that's the other side of time. um having that kind of passionate interest in it um i've got a few questions from um yeah. instagram love- for you mate we've got one very controversial one of who is your favorite bearded grappler and i would take me as red so who's your second favorite <laughs> who's my favorite bearded grappler um, i'll give you a guess who's um asked that question he's Go got on. he's a black belt from um luton <laughs> it's it not, is, is it uh, Jermaine? It is Jermaine. It's yeah. not Jermaine. <laughs> oh, it is Jermaine. I'm going to say Jermaine. He is one of my favourite grapplers anyway. I love watching that guy. God, he's His Instagram like... is so refreshing seeing all the food and stuff. It looks so fresh. I get so hungry. Oh, honestly, mate. I, I sent him a message actually last, uh, a couple of days ago. I sent him another one last night. He probably thinks I'm stalking him now. I was like, Jermaine, send me some training videos from the dojo. He, um... He's awesome. Like when I was lighter, I wish I'd trained uh, with someone like Jermaine. Like, cause he's, I've watched him rolling as well. And he's just, oh, mate, he's fucking awesome. He's just so like, and he's so well balanced as well. Um, I mean, that that's really the real yeah. sort of style you can appreciate from the outside is someone just flowing and using that, the actual proper technique. Cause obviously there's always going to be a balance of athleticism and skill and all the rest of it. But it's that natural kind of like flow up movement. Um, he's got it though, isn't he? You know what I mean? Like he's 
he's like a mad parkour <laughs> yoga jiu-jitsu guy. The man of movement. Who's also like a crazy vegetarian vegan. He, um, he is. Yeah, um, another question for you. This is quite an interesting one. So how do you cope with sort of crap lighting and events when shooting at clubs or like, events and stuff? Oh, fucking hell. That's a photography question, Dan. I've already told you I'm not a photographer. Um, so I, I've had this conversation a few times. And um, because I want the pictures to look like I'm in there training... I'm not too fussed about the lighting. I mean, if I was to go into a gym and it was dark, my pictures would be dark. You know, if I was to go and train and it was the middle of summer and you were training in a field, you know, the light the light is what the light is. I never, ever use a flash. Um, I like the, I like getting the lighting at the actual training sessions. I guess it's kind of sets a tone with it all. It sets so, the sort of mood of what the atmosphere is like in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That, um... Like the club I train, it's very bright. Uh, whereas when you go to like 10th Planet in Banbury again, that's really dark. You know, all the walls are really, they're black. And I took pictures of uh, one of the personal trainers out there, Jen, and she's also amazing. Um, and at the back of... No, I've seen a lot of um, like footage from their like events and stuff. Oh, mate. It's well worth a trip. Like, it is well worth a trip. So... You've got the cage and all the rest of it and the ring and the massive matted area. There's bags all up the walls. There's a viewing area. It's wicked. There's a gym as you walk in. But at the back of the the matted area, there's a, like a caged wall. And behind it, you've got a bit of a CrossFit area. But it's pitch black. Like, it's so dark over there. And I took Jen through there and we were taking pictures in there. And they're some of my favorite photos. And the light was shit. So... Yeah, and I like how your brother takes pictures. He mm. takes them quite dark. You get real sort of effect, sort of shadow. You can see the uh, sort of what do you call it? The grimace on my face and all this kind of stuff. You can... <laughs> <laughs> That's alright, mate. Get your top off. It's dark. We it's can almost like, edit ads like cleanly and nicely, but we're getting there. We're trying to sort it out. Um, yeah. This one's a question mainly from me, just for being a bit of a fat fuck. So, which gym has got the best food situation like around about? So, like, say you finish doing your shoot. You want to get some lunch or some dinner? Yeah. Which club has got the best setup? Oh, which club has got the best setup? Best match. What? No, food like around it. Let's say like BST's got six fields and stuff, like oh, all the sort of like fast food. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. BST's got fucking. It's in the middle of a bloody restaurant's galore. You got a taco bell. Oh, it's How random is that? Oh, you missed out. I went there after my weight cut and it was perfect. I don't know what some food. I was Mexican food and stuff like you get um. Like enchiladas and like um, all that sort of stuff. It's banging. Oh, bang. I'll take you. We'll have a little date. It's quite nice. <laughs> Get some pictures. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say. Yeah, I'm gonna say your club. Take it a bit biased, but that's fine. I love that. <laughs> BST <laughs> best um, food situation in Europe area. Yeah, BST great food. There's loads of gyms right there as well, isn't there? You got like a. Oh, you get all the sort of, um, so many different gyms and stuff. This is why I'm so impressed with the amount of reception BST gets because it's one of those places that can be so easily overlooked because of the sort of commercial ones Mm. taking the sort of spotlight from it. Yeah, yeah. No, well, it's it's one of them, it's commercial gyms everywhere, isn't it? It's not like you can't offer what the commercial gyms offer. It's got fucking everything. Um, Quick one for you. Regards of quarantine at the minute and all this sort of isolation stuff, Mm. what is something, 
here's a question for you. What is something positive you've taken from being isolated in quarantine? Oh, God, there's so much, isn't there? Like, I always cast myself as a family man anyway, but I love spending this much time with the kids. Um, love being at home this much. I'm one of them people, and everyone, loads of people have said it to me, I've always got to have something going on. I've always got to have something going on. And before you know it, I want to start taped fingers. I was never in the fucking house. You know, I was like, I was always out. And... Um, I've always worked hard. I've had my own business and that, and I'm, it's nice to slow life right down. And another thing is I've chased money now for the last few years. I always wanted to earn more, earn more, earn more. And um, I remember a few years back saying, oh, when I get to 30 grand a year, mate, that's me, I'm done. And then, I, you know, you get to, when I get to 40, I'm done. When I get to 50, I'm done. When I get to 60, I'm done. And you, uh, and you get there and you think, nah, you know, it's nothing. Nothing's changed, and now this lockdown's happened. Makes you realise how much money you don't actually need. Like, so now I'm looking at things, thinking, do I need a, the job I'm doing? You know, I'm enjoying being at home with the kids. I'm enjoying. I'm building my my little dojo in the back of my garden. You know, it's, there's so many benefits. It sorts your diet right out because I'm not driving everywhere, stopping at Costa well, four Bell. times a day. You know? <laughs> yeah, Taco Bell. Yeah. It's uh, it's sorted so much stuff, mate. Family life's great, you know. Diet's great, sleep's great. Um, it's just so shit has happened because of such a crap thing. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to come out of this and realise there's a lot more to life than everything they were chasing. Hopefully, it's, it sort of reevaluates people's situation of how fickle and like fragile things really are, and how easily can yeah. be taken away from you. Because one thing I've been in jobs mm, where like you get stuck in a job. Tip. And you think, oh, this is, I can't leave. I can't sort this out. I need to stay here. I need to sort this out. Or maybe next week I'll look for something else and so on and so forth. But when something like this mm. happens and you're taken out of a situation, it sort of reminds you that, okay, there is more to life. Then what? It's that question of then what? So uh, what happened if you lost your job? What happened if something else happened? Then what? You work it out. Yeah. And this is just quite refreshing, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's ma- yeah, it's massively refreshing. Like, I remember talking to a, I had a friend once who was a, um, do you remember Mark Weir, UFC oh, fighter? Oh, ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, a friend of mine he used to be in the, um, I think it was the TAGB team with Mark Weir. Anyway, he was a, he was loaded, like a millionaire. And I remember him saying to me, you know, you haven't got the, I mean, it used to be so like, look up to him, look up to him. I was in a car one day. And um, I was only young, I was, you know, young, young, I was like 19, and he was probably 30. And um, he said, uh, it's, it don't mean anything, you know, he was driving around in a Ferrari with an eight-bedroom house and fucking businesses everywhere and all that. But his family didn't talk to him, you know, his, his kids hated him, He's he was looked at as a prick, and I thought he was a sound bloke, but... And I remember him saying to me then, like, the perfect life balance is if you've got your personal life, um your social life and your business life if you split your life into into thirds and they're all perfect you know they're all perfectly balanced that's that's true success and i think this lockdown makes you realize you know i was i'm on a a bit of a pendulum one minute i'm 90 percent work you know and then i'm 
90% training and then uh, something will happen I mean 90% family and it's just pendulumed all the time so I'd, uh, I think this is throwing a bit of balance back into life and I think it's important people try and keep that when, they, uh, when they're allowed out of the house 100% and again it's just that kind mm. of like again perspective and sort of value and this kind of thing of in this age of social media and a sort of bragging and the undertones of oh look at me I'm happy I'm successful it's them finding that fulfilment in what you're doing because as well and good it is people yeah. saying you've got a nice car or a nice house or whatever. If you if yeah, you are happy in what you're doing, if you're doing something you enjoy, you're with people you build from and you know can live with and enjoy, then that kind of stuff becomes tertiary, becomes just a bit of a an extra layer to top up like a icing on the cake. Like a like on Instagram shouldn't be what makes you happy or sad. It should, you know, give you a nod of, okay, this is a mm-hmm. a market it's market research. For a business point of view, or so it should be. It shouldn't be any more than any more mm. value than you give it. Oh, 100. I always growing up, like ever since I was little, I always said I want a job where I matter and where I'm helping people. That's it. They're the only two boxes I wanted to tick. And um, ever, you know, ever since I was young, all I wanted to be was in the Marines from as far as I can remember. You know, and I finally got in. And then just stuck in a bit of a shit period, and I fucked it up. Back to the acting like a twat, scrapping. And then I've since then I've just felt a bit lost, you know. So I've done done a bit of that. I've done a bit of that. I found it really hard to. So talk us through that a second, then. So but, the whole marine situation. How old were you when you enlisted, and then ultimately end up leaving? No, yeah. Well, I basically got kicked out. Um, real sore subject. Uh, I found years it took me to be okay with this like i had um i trained my ass off like so i had a big falling out with an old coach of mine um he was like my dad and i left training and i went from you imagine if bst vanished off the face of the earth you know like i had i used to teach kids i had 23 clubs all up and down the country and just lost it all overnight basically and um I was hot-headed when I was younger, you know, I was real hot-headed. So I made a stupid mistake there and I went back to the right, fuck this, I'm just joining the Marines. So I went straight down to the careers office in Luton, joined, uh, passed my test. I was lucky enough to meet a guy down there who actually went on to be a Royal Marine PTI. He's from Bedford, he used to train at Rising Crane actually. Um, So yeah, so I trained with him got super fit I've never been I'm never ever going to get to that fitness again um smash the PRMC um which is like a three-day course before you join and then yeah like I say I went through all my teens not drinking went through all my 20s not drinking and then at that stage where I didn't have my training between then and joining the marines I was just a fucking knob mate proper knob I had um I was drinking I was fighting. I remember knocking. I put seven people in hospital in a week. That's how bad it was. It was a real shit time. And ultimately, I got done. Got arrested. Went to court like a prick. Didn't have that. I went from teaching young kids and you know trying to inspire them to standing in a courtroom getting fucking thrown out of the Marines. And um, yeah, and that I was mean it. that whole situation. It was almost. It gives you that opportunity to lead by example that when you've made the mistake that they could make, is that you've then built mm. up from there onwards. Because timing-wise and everything else, 
it seemed like the Marines aren't necessarily... I think it was more the timing of everything else that's going on. And what you're saying then about mm. how your world is almost taken away from you and how this situation... It's almost like what's going on now that your even though that was your actions that cost that, in the same essence, the current climate of the pandemic and everything taking away other people's worlds. And it isn't how you process yeah, that information yeah. and stuff. I mean, obviously it's all personal. It's all relative to everyone and their experiences. But the way you've then come on from there to then have this build, that business and then this integrity and this knowledge as well and this insight to deal with these emotions because you understand it from a more relative position of I have been that hot-headed person. I have only seen red. I've not. I've been in a similar situation to where these kids are to then apply that into what you're doing now. It's just that kind of remarkable transition because not everyone can have that kind of that transition. They, some people just you'll see people oh, in the yeah. pub still like you know causing the same kind of trouble. Yeah, it could like it could it could have easily easily gone the other way for me definitely. Um, you know, it's it's very sobering when your own mum's looking at you disappointed. Oh. You know, and I thought, <laughs> you know, my whole my whole life I just wanted to matter and you know and do something um that helps other people and it was all leading that way and everything I ever done I was really proud of and I was like yeah I love this I love this it's great I'm good at this you know and then I had like a six month period of just going and I'm like I said earlier I'm still paying for it now I've tried to join the I've tried to join the Met Police since then won't touch me um and it's mad, you know, you look back and you think, fucking hell, man, that was 12 years ago. Uh, I've tried, I've tried, uh, I've tried to join the police like three times. Because I think, you know what, I'm sitting here, I'm fit, I'm strong. You know, I'm like, got a head on my shoulders, I think my morals are in the right place. You know, I had a stupid, you know, I didn't start these fights. I was just one of those people where I should have walked off and didn't. And, um, Yeah. It is fucking crazy. And I think, do you know what? I lived my whole life growing up wanting to achieve something. Had a stupid six months that is still fucking me up now up to 35 years old. So, and it matter, six months can can change 35 years. So, but again, so this is what you're saying about how you've then applied this experience. You've applied what you've learned. You've applied this knowledge and you've built this brand. You've built these people up and you continue to build these people up. And this is why I'm so keen to help mm. supporting you with this and help get more people involved with it as well. Oh, mate, because this is this is something that's real, is that not everyone has the same sort of moral compass at all times, all the same level-headedness. If someone says something about whatever subject and then it hits to the nerve at the wrong time and all this kind of stuff, things can happen in a split second. Mm. Like, you could throw a punch, someone could fall and they could die and then you could be done for manslaughter. And then you're imprisoned for what could be just a normal scrap. And then it all escalates. All these things mm. could happen. And this is why... You, you given this information to these sort of kids and these people in these situations because it could feel so I mean am I talking from my perspective it could feel like this is the end of the world this is all they know this is where it can all lead to they haven't got that foresight to see okay this is what I can do this is what I can achieve so mm. this is why it's so like inspirational and one thing to get, before we um, I let you go is with the fighter bio- bios I want to hear your fighter bio <laughs> So, years okay. training, go. <laughs> years training. Uh, God. Um, 20... 
27. Seven. Cool. So. Well, take out a couple of years I had out. Twenty-five. So favorite fire. Well, main. Let's go back a second. Main inspiration. Main inspiration. Um. Family. Good answer. Doing yeah, doing right by my family is a main inspiration for me. Okay, favorite fire other than me. I'll take that as red. So I've got Number Dan Lester, got Jermaine. Um, I'd say, I bet nine out of ten people say it, but I absolutely love Mike Tyson. I like Roy Jones Jr. as well. Um, and I used to be a massive Chuck Liddell fanboy when the UFC first came out. Am I allowed to well, have three? It's your um, bio situation, so it's up to you. <laughs> you <laughs> make the rules. You, you made the um, structure. Uh, right, well, when I set the rules, I say, no, mate, you're only allowed one. So I'm going to go with uh, Mike now, Tyson. Is there a reason why Mike Tyson specifically? I just love the... I love the... I like the early days, Mike Tyson. I like the pulled off the street. Um, you know, the proper Rocky Balboa in the gym completely eyes on focus to his trainer doing Intense exactly focus. what he's told just turned into an animal um i love his style nobody can match it it's i love it i think it's incredible now what would you do to end knife crime what would i do to end knife crime i would and i'm going to um connect with every single club in the country and then I'm going to start a charity. And then I'm going to get knife bins installed outside clubs. So I used to grow gyms. So I used to be like, do memberships and other bits and pieces. So I was going to try and get a program launched nationally that people can just register to. They get a knife bin installed, gets registered with the local police station, offers some training to the coaches in the club. So a kid knows that that place is a safe haven. Because at the end of the day, most of these clubs nowadays, which we didn't have back in the day, can keep you off the street from the minute it opens to the minute it closes. You know, look at BST as an example. So these kids can go there, put whatever they need to put into that bin, and then they know that they can go into that club, talk to a member of staff um, confidentially, and then I'd love somewhere like BST to like sponsor that kid's membership or let that kid train for free for for a year or up until they're 18 or however it um you know whatever's going to be best when i think it through more but that's going to be my that's going to be my thing so i want to try and expose all these fighters in these gyms you know get them out onto a social media platform connect them all up get knife bins installed get staff trained to to talk and deal with these kids so these kids can go in and train that's my uh that's my thing Sorry, that took me back quite a bit. Um, yeah, that that is just so poignant. That sort of st- I love I love that so much because this is the thing with people will go to these places to deal with their like issues or emotions or whatever anyway, but to be more proactive about it as well and to give them that as a mm. actual guide guidance sort of an actual path to go down. I think that's just so important. Mm. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. For me, like especially growing up in Bedford and a lot of the stuff that was going on there. I mean, if there was somewhere like 
um, like BST. Like we we did have Rising Crane growing up there, and we did have East Area and stuff like that. But you imagine if they knew, if kids knew they could go there, and someone like Sydney Thompson, which just fucking incredible, was trained to sit down with that kid and talk to him for an hour and get him on board to train. You know, he could have done that with a kid that was could have potentially been stabbed five or six years ago, and today there could be a fucking British champion. It's um, for me. These fighters and these coaches, I don't think they realise just how influential they can be. Now, that word so, is so yeah. significant there. Influence, influences. Yeah. So when people see social media influences and what that means versus what an actual influencer in real life is. So if you take into account what a coach is and what we were saying earlier about that sort of guidance and that kind of path, and again, what you just said there about the potential of someone being stabbed and then changing their career path and then avoiding that situation that is what real influence really mm. is and that kind of mm. again that change in someone's life and that impact and that significance so the next mm. question is well true true influence is is trust it's a trust bridge and it? it's a trust builder you need to you need to completely trust that person to be influenced by them and that's why um or or to be influenced by that person they need to be the the strongest, uh, most overwhelming individual in your life at that time. And that's why a kid can join a gang because there's someone in that gang who's a big hard man and he's, you know, and he's, he's done this and he's done that and he's influenced and whether it be, you know, that's obviously in a bad way, but because he is the most powerful person in that person's life at that time, they're going to be the biggest influence. But then if you stand Danny Batten next to this prick in this gang and this kid now knows both of them who's going to be the biggest well, definitely, because you go from that initial like i'm scared and this gang gives me some sort of security again this isn't from personal experience this is just from interpretation this is all from like you're you're scared you're being bullied or whatever it is so if i hang out with these people who are either intimidating or bigger or whatever they can then protect me i'm not on my own and that's where it can get lost almost so whereas mm. going in a more constructive environment can definitely change that whole situation. So, advice to mm. someone being bullied. Do you know what, Dan? I've never thought of these answers myself. Um, which is stupid, considering I'm the one that made the questions. Advice to someone being bullied. Uh, it would be... It would be... It doesn't last... It would be get yourself out of the situation. It would be I'm very uh, direct, and I think if someone tried to bully me, like touch wood, it's not happened. But if someone tried to bully me, I wish someone like myself, as a kid, would come to me, come to that bully, sit us in a room, and say, right go talk you know I'd, i think i'd try and inject a bit of courage into that kid being bullied to teach him about being direct and i'd i'd get him to put it on that bully and that don't mean it and that means asking direct questions that but, is intense though that, that's what you need you need a bit more of to give your words a bit more weight because it's not as one thing to punch him back in the face another thing to look him in the eye and say why do i deserve to be bullied why do i deserve you to treat me like that 
I think it's easier to punch him, isn't it? And it? Yeah, it's very hard to be direct with anyone in life, you know. I think that's, if you want to be good at anything or if you want to get far in anything, you need to have bottle. And to have bottle, you need to, it doesn't matter. I think I've always prided myself on, um, in a work situation, I've, I've said it in a job interview before, you know, like I'll treat Frank the cleaner the same as I'll treat Steve the CEO, you know. It's, okay. it's I think that's important to have that confidence, to have that directness and have that, that um integrity and that like that your moral compass being in the right place that it doesn't matter who you're talking to you personally never change no matter what situation you are personally in you always act the same way so it don't matter to me if i'm in front of my nan or if i'm in front of my mates in the pub you know i'm the same sean you know it's important that that and i think it'd be good to get a bully and a bully uh bully and a the kid is bullying in a room with a strong character who can talk like that to these kids and change the mindset because telling a bully kid to go and knock them out a hundred percent i am very old school and if someone touches my kids I'm oh that's a different conversation bully, <laughs> to bully my kids Fuck you get down lester on them oh you know I'd, you get down lester on them eh? yeah i'd get down lester on them a hundred percent i'd get the camera out and i'd that's get some sick shots get the logo uh yeah that it's uh it's a hard one I would. I'd always teach kids to defend themselves, but I'd I'd inject them with confidence. That's what I. Okay. To now, do. advice to the bully. Stop being a cunt. Uh, I would do the same thing. A lot of people, kids that are bullies, you don't know what that kid's going through. You know, sometimes the kids that are being bullied are going through more shit than the kids that are being. Uh, the kids that are the bullies are going through more shit than the kids that are being bullied. So I'd, uh, and I've seen it loads of times, working with charities for kids, I've seen it loads of times. When you sit down and really talk to these kids and they open up to you, you think, fucking hell, 20 minutes ago, I thought you were right, little bastard. Now, no, my heart bleeds for you. It's that so, context, um, isn't it? It's understanding that sort of hierarchy, yeah, maybe they're so it's, sort of stuck under that kind of pathway they've been taught. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. I think if you're direct with someone, you ask direct questions and expect direct answers you know, you're going to get to the bottom of it. If you sit there and tell them about themselves or try and give them advice, a lot of these kids turn off. So I would be sitting there saying, you know, why are you doing it? What what gives you the right to, to do that over that kid? What's happening to you? I, who's bullying you? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd get to the bottom of it. Same thing, I'd get both in a room. I mean, I think that's so much more powerful as well, much more lasting as well, because the sort of fickleness of, you know, a fight, and that's the end of that. What what will that bully take from that? What would that person being bullied take from that they'll just take okay that was the quick fix and then the problem's not necessarily gone but it's not there it's been hidden whereas addressing the fundamental mm. lines of one what is this bully doing why does he feel he can do this or they whatever versus mm. what are they portraying off to then let them be bullied what kind of vulnerability are they showing what kind of again it's all part of growing up as well understanding different people and social cues and all this kind of stuff I mean it's a it's such a wide spectrum of stuff and this is why it's so significant and so important. I'll say it again, I'll say it again and again. This is why what you're doing is so poignant and so that's why it resonates with a lot of people. Oh, I think both you know, both those kids, whether they're bullied or bullied, you know, whether they're being bullied or whether they're the bully. If you had the power to, imagine if you'd walked them into a walk them into a club. And this is why I think it's important to get this like a bit of a uh, get this thing going, you know, it's whether you're a bully or you're bullied, if I walked them into um, like Banbury Martial Arts Centre or BST or wherever else, you know, or um, 
cracking you know places like that if they can go in there and see people that are they're both going to be injected with confidence and as long as confidence is directed the right way they're going to make the right choices now before Uh, i let you go sean where can people find you so you can find me on instagram at taped fingers uh facebook and i started a youtube channel which i'm proper shit at but i promise it will get better um and on youtube i'm on twitter i've not even logged on to it myself so i don't know what's going on with that but um yeah and website but i'm trying to get as many followers as i can because the more followers i can get the uh the more power the brand's got and then when i'm which means actually how i've known what been benefit of getting more followers is like i was lucky enough to take a load of photos of frank me you know he was ufc heavyweight champion and and just being able to do that opens up doors in other gyms so if i can get into a hundred gyms within the year which is my target um then my ideas at the end of it with getting the knife bins and and it's got a lot more power because i've got a lot more people i can work with so yeah people can just like and follow and share and let clubs know everyone knows someone else in the industry it don't matter to me if it's in scotland i was in southampton the other week don't matter where it is if people want want us in to take pictures and do bits then you know i'd love to all those details will be in the description sean it's been a pleasure thank you for coming on <laughs> just thank Cheers, you mate. that's it see you later